Welcome into the All Things Bama podcast powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated and Fan Nation site for all Crimson Tide news and information. I'm your host, Tyler Martin, joined by John Garcia, Sports Illustrated All-American recruiting director and football analyst to to talk uh, Alabama's hot streak in the month of July, uh, picking up target after target to talk about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC and the recruiting ramifications for that. John, I want to start out with this. So say you're a rising junior and NIL is happening and you're potentially about to make seven figures, $1 million, just a lump sum of $1 million with a couple NIL deals mixed together. It's either you take that deal, you enroll early, or you, you, you forgo, forgo that and you play high school football in your state, which doesn't allow high schoolers to make money. What do you choose? This, this sounds like the Quinn Ewers uh, proposition. Uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards leaving just like he is. Um, I think the, everyone, everyone gets wrapped up in kind of this professionalization of, of amateur sports, but everywhere in the world, Tyler, this is commonplace common ground most everywhere when you're 16 you're you're viewed as a professional whether you're talking about international soccer international basketball and those teenagers at 16 are are weighing very expensive decisions life-changing decisions so why wouldn't we assimilate towards that in this country with the number one sport in this country and the number one position in all sports which is quarterback so if i'm quinn yours i'm thinking internationally i'm thinking long term let me go ahead and change my family's lives forever. Let me change my bank account forever and just accelerate the college process. Uh, it, it's really not as big a sacrifice as some are making it seem to be. Look, am I for nostalgia and, and pride for your community and all that stuff? Absolutely, but this is going to be a blip on the radar. There's not a lot of kids who are gonna have this opportunity. You're talking elite recruits, quarterbacks, and, and that's really it. So if it's 10 kids a year, let's say, I would imagine most of them under the exact same circumstances would jump towards the collegiate game. Um, especially again, if you're academically inclined, if you're enrolling early, it means that, that you're ahead uh, in the classroom. So you've already kind of prepared. Uh, and most of these kids enroll in January anyway. So you're just talking about a few extra months ahead of schedule, not a year or two or three years, uh, like like maybe it's making it uh, making it seem elsewhere. So I, I don't think this is as big of a deal as folks are making it out to be. One, because it's only a few kids that will be affected. Um, and two, you know, it's, it's a case by case situation. Again, look elsewhere in the world. This is very, very common. Um, and all that stuff is kind of arriving now um, in America from an amateur sports perspective. These kids are already thinking with a college and pro mentality. This is just the next layer of that. Yeah, and I like what you said. And listeners, if you don't know what we're referring to is Ohio State commit Quinn Ewers from South Lake Carroll in Texas. Uh, he's, he's leaning toward foregoing his senior season. Um, so he's able to enroll in college early and able to make money off his name, image, and likeness. And two, you know, we're, we're kind of still walking around in these uncharted waters. No one knows what the heck they're doing, John. That was kind of the consensus at SEC Media Days last week. Even Saban, you know, talked about how he – what he says about it is going to be wrong now, right, because there's no precedent um, for, for what's been what, – what's going to happen here um, in the future. 
for me, I, you make a good point. I didn't, I didn't think of it from an angle of other sports in the world do this. Like I think of soccer, like Kristen Pulisic just comes to mind, right? I mean, he gets to go in Europe to play in Europe when he's 15, 16 years old, make a lot of money doing that, playing for their junior academies for, um, you know, for Dortmund in Germany. And, and, you know, it's kind of like that, right? That's what these football factories are turning into, right? They're, they're NFL factories, Alabama and Ohio State, of course. So it only makes sense for the elite of the elite players. Now, one thing I'm interested to see, since we are an Alabama podcast, is how Alabama, if this does become a big deal around the country, how does Alabama and this coaching staff handle this? Because Nick said, anytime you talk to a recruit who's being recruited by Alabama, one of the things Nick Saban tells them all the time is be present, be where your feet are. Don't be focused on, you know, the future as much as you need to be focused on what you have right in front of you right now. And if, if, if a lot of these kids are kind of worried about how much money they're making before they step on a college campus, then more than likely that kid isn't suiting up for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, I think there's a fine line. I think you hit it right on the head. You know, it's funny because this whole, the Bryce Young dollar amount really kicked off this whole conversation, right? Everybody knew there was some NIL deals. We heard like tens of thousands of dollars at different points. And it seemed like, oh, this is great for the kid. No big deal. But it was really Nick Saban, ironically enough, who kind of kicked off this million dollar conversation with Bryce Young, basically insinuating that he was close to a million dollars in deals. Um, so uh, again, just like with Quinn Ewers, that is just going to be such a small minority of, of college athletes that are, are even close to that ballpark. Well, but at the same time, if, if that was Bryce's mentality two years ago, uh, when he's being recruited by Alabama, when he gets to Alabama, uh, then certainly, you know, his priorities would be a little offline for what um, this coaching staff wants, certainly from what Nick Saban wants. But again, Nick has adjusted to every curveball thrown at him on and off the field, whether it's it's the transfer portal, whether it's early enrollees, whether it's hurry up, no huddle. <laughs> that was like, it took a little longer for that one, but he adjusted, he adjusted offensively, opening up the, you know, the gates to, to Lane Kiffin and widening out the offense. So he's always been a creature of adjustment uh, and it's helped him survive literally at the top of, of the entire conversation. Uh, but I do think that one's going to be a little harder for him to, to, to sit down and dig his cleats in on, you know, if, if multiple players are coming in talking money publicly I do think that will, will sit in a certain way with him. So I, I'm curious to see how much that matures from the, from the high school ranks, from the high school perspective, um, because um, you don't, anything can cost you a scholarship, just like it co could cost you a deal uh, or employment or even an NIL situation. So I'm curious to see how high school kids handle that because you're absolutely right. Uh, I don't think Nick would, would want that before those kids get on campus. And I'm sure he would, he would reiterate that that's not to take away from any opportunities that that do arise, even though he said that, you know, people could be looking over their shoulder in their own huddle compared to other players. But I, again, I think that's a little overblown, too. I think everybody knows in a huddle, the quarterback's the guy, he's the he's the glory guy, the offensive line are the grunts, et cetera. There's there's a hierarchy within every team in every sport. And, and I think these kids are are, are more understanding than we're, we're going to give them credit for. Yeah, and it also helps when you have coaches like David Shaw of Stanford, you know, given, given Saban and company a great one-liner, that's Alabama value. They, they should pay Shaw, I mean, some kind of percent of the money on that, John. I'm serious because it's already on recruiting graphics. It's already being mailed out to prospects. I mean, that's Alabama value. 
I mean that Alabama, the depart the, the creative team at Alabama couldn't come up with that. Um, David Shaw really helping out the recruiting as if it needed help. Uh, it didn't need help in the month of July, John. Uh, Alabama steamrolling across the country. You kind of look when it all got started. Antonio Kite, then Tyler Booker, Sean Murphy, Jeremiah Alexander, Kobe Prentice most recently. Who of those guys would you say is okay? Is maybe the maybe the biggest get right? Um, the obvious, and then two maybe the one that you think kind of projects to be maybe the the most impact guy. Well, I think anytime you lose a commitment from an elite prospect and you claw your way back to get them at any position, uh, that's a big deal. When it's with the number one edge in the country, who we just ranked at SIL American, and a guy who could transition to traditional linebacker if need be, smart and in-state at at really the state's premier program, you roll all that together. uh, And Jeremiah Alexander is kind of the no-brainer answer to the biggest get in July Um, A lot of times when we checked in with him, we heard buzz elsewhere. LSU had the buzz when he first decommitted from Alabama. Georgia grabbed onto it at some point. And then most recently, it was a Clemson-Bama situation. You know, those visits to Clemson really, really had him thinking. Um, So to beat those programs for a kid that you, you already lost on the commitment list, I thought was really big for Alabama, kind of solidifying where it is nationally in this class as it climbs back to to defend its, its recruiting title from a year ago. Um, but, you know, I got to mention Tyler Booker. I mean, this is a kid who uh, Bama was third for, for the majority, third at best, I should say, for the majority of the recruitment. Uh, he was at that Florida official the first weekend of the uh, of, of the open period in June, where it seemed like him, Walter Nolan, Evan Stewart, everyone was going to be a Gator uh, after that visit. But uh, those kids are elite, and they knew we couldn't commit here soon, we have to take all the visits first. Um, so that allowed the door to remain open for Booker, where where Georgia really um, reestablished itself as, as his premier school. Uh, I think his heart was probably even with Georgia up until recently. Um, but that last visit to Bama, spending time with Evan Neal, or excuse me, spending time with J.C. Latham, getting on the phone a few times with Evan Neal, who I think was training somewhere else, really kind of solidified him as, hey, like I went to IMG for this, let me go to Alabama to be at this same level as well. It was his mom who actually convinced him at the middle of Bryant Denny Stadium. So I thought the the climb Alabama had to make with those two prospects, nationally known, kids with offers since their freshman year of high school, to land both of them in a matter of what eight days was was really thrilling for even for Alabama when you expect number one classes to go do it when you're clearly trailing at one or multiple points is a very, very big deal. And on the flip side, if we're going sleeper or what have you, I'm I'm a big Antonio Kite guy. Uh, I think he's maybe the kid on the football field who's been seen the least of anyone on Bama's commitment list, but he might be the most athletic prospect Alabama has committed at the same time. So when you you throw that into a 6'1 body in the secondary with Nick Saban and the kid is already okay with focusing on football over his first love, which was basketball, you have all those dominoes in your favor, they're going to knock down each other and, and roll into, into quite the prospect. So I think Antonio Kite, whether it's at corner, nickel or safety, is really going to be a guy we look back on in this class and say, man, that was a huge get for Alabama. I think he's, he's a true impact corner. You know, my sleeper guy, John, is going to be the clear wideout, Kobe Prentice. 
And you know what's funny? This happens every time that Alabama, you know, maybe there's a decommitment and then Alabama gets a hold of them. And I had two Maryland fans in my mentions the other day when he committed on on uh on on two on two on Wednesday, excuse me. And they were like, well, he was a three-star when he was with Maryland. Now he just got bumped up to a four-star. And I know SI Americans, you guys are in the process of doing your rankings, and a lot of those will be released next week. But it's like a part of me is like, okay, when we're evaluating kids and evaluating prospects, it, isn't Alabama and Nick Saban how he evaluates talent? Isn't that kind of the standard in the industry per se? It's like, okay, if he thinks that he's pretty good and we have him as you know a high-end two, maybe a low-end three, it's like, okay, we, we, there's, there's a big difference between the people, you know, like me and you or like people like Nick Saban, per se. Yeah, look, I've, I've worked at a few of the sites that play the star game, and that factors in there. I, 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 would, I would be lying if I said otherwise. Uh, I think Prentice is a unique case. Um, not, a, not a lot of exposure before the 2020 season, and we all know the 2020 season was crazy. Um, but once you, once you dig into that tape, uh, and he validated a lot of the, the, the speed that we see on tape uh, at different camps and particularly at Alabama's camp. Uh, you, you actually told me that he ran sub 4-4 at Alabama's camp. Once you put all those things together, you could see that this is one of the top slot prospects in the country. We've got him just outside the top 10 of the slot receiver rankings. And this, this slot ranking was much harder to do than the last couple of years because the, the field is loaded all across the wide receiver spectrum in this cycle. Um, so we kind of realized it once he validated those times and that speed on tape that this was one of the premier players in the country at that position. Um, and I think he's one, you, you don't want to throw Henry Ruggs out there uh, when, when it comes to speed, but when you talk about a guy who's kind of rising at the right time, that's who he reminds me of. A speed guy who's focused on other things at a, you know, a school that wasn't churning out SEC players, I think this is the first Kalira kid uh, since Ronnie Clark, you know, who, who had a great high school career and unfortunately got hurt a billion times at Alabama. Um, okay. You know, it's, it's not exactly a, a school that everyone was stopping at pre-pandemic. During and after the pandemic, ain't nobody going to Kalira, Tyler. So uh, I, think, I think that was part of the, the sleeper feel uh, for Prentice, but he'll certainly have a lot more eyes on him as a senior. And I think he'll validate and back up the, the lofty expectations, not only from Alabama, but the industry itself. Like I said, tiny Henry Ruggs vibes there in terms of his frame and his timeline, but the speed checks out. Uh, and I think no matter where you are, no matter who you're playing against uh, in, in this day and age, that's as, as, as important or more important than it's ever been. No doubt about it. And you mentioned Kalira. Last time I was there, they have a new regime in there now. They're trying to build that program up. It's not one of the premier programs in the state, of course. Uh, Jason Jones was the prospect yeah. I did a feature on um, when he was at Alabama commit. Now he's up at Oregon. Um, but it's, you, I mentioned Kobe. You know, he's one of these guys in the, the Alabama is just – they've got the state on lock right now. It really looks like – and maybe that's – of course, part of it is Alabama is Alabama, right? I mean, we know what they're going to be. And two, I think what Alabama's doing is, John, is that they're taking advantage of what's going on at Auburn right now. And I know Auburn's got Demari Alston, and I think he's going to be a fantastic player. But, you know, you look at a lot of the recruiting rankings, and, I, and you guys have yours, you, we, a monthly updates. But where Auburn is at, I mean, Auburn isn't even really scratching top 25 for you guys right now. I think Alabama's taking advantage of that. And potentially you look at uh, Traquan Fagans, who's going to um, announce his commitment, which I think he's leaning toward Miami right now. 
Um, but he's a guy who Alabama was in play for, and Alabama still pushed for. Um, you look at Justice Finkley from Hewitt. Uh, he's a guy who, who very well could suit up for the Crimson Tide. Alabama right now, man, I, I mean, I, Auburn typically gets a few of these big guys, but you're not really seeing that right now this cycle. You're right. Uh, and I think you, the, the reasoning is right as well. You know, Brian Harson and that staff is trying to uh, start over, right? Build, build a culture from the ground up uh, at Auburn. Um, they, they are recruiting well in the state of Georgia, as you would expect. And look, they'll get some Alabamians. I think they're in it for Amari Kelly. Uh, the Stinson kid who decommitted may come back into the fold. Uh, you know, Elsa Harris is, is probably really the only Iron Bowl battle I see in the state, you know, the old lineman from Auburn High School, who it's kind of like Bama, Auburn, uh, UCF, <laughs> getting their hat in the ring, speaking of Auburn coaching staff. But everywhere else uh, in the state, it's it's very much Bama heavy uh, with, with the elite prospects and even the sleepers like like a Kobe Prentice. So uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. This is this was kind of the worst time to be a first year staff, but you're not going to turn down this job offer if you're Brian Harson. So um, in the meantime, a, an easier reshuffle for Alabama to focus in state, particularly before all these visits were back online. Um, Alabama is always going to recruit nationally, uh, but they always want to be selective within state lines. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised they've already got five Alabamians in this class of, of 2022. And you mentioned a couple more who could jump on board. Uh, and, and that's a big number. Anytime it's five plus for me, it's a big number for Alabama because you're always going to recruit Florida. Texas, California, and then you're going to pick and prod in the DMV, Ohio, and elsewhere. So uh, I think that's a very big number for Alabama and a good sign for the sustainability uh, of this, this Crimson Tide coaching staff, even amid all the turnover, right? Uh, it's, it's still, like you said, Alabama's still Alabama, no matter who's an assistant coach. Yeah. And also, too, I, you know, we mentioned we – we just mentioned eight Alabama kids because you mentioned Amari Kelly, another Hewitt Trussell product. And, you know, he's a guy who could pop to Alabama really anytime. Uh, UCF is in there as well. Um, but another guy that I think a lot of people are still mentioning is Curtis Perry. This is a guy who, who I thought Alabama, Alabama was high on. Um, you go back to 2020 when he was a sophomore, Alabama offered him. Alabama was in on him very, very early like they are a lot of these in-state kids. But now, you know, he just released a top 10. Uh, Alabama's kind of pushed back a little bit. Uh, I'm unsure right now if he's going to be at the Champions Cookout this weekend. Um, you know, all, all, he's he Perry is high on Auburn. Um, but Curtis Perry, I mean, is a guy who I thought, you know, would eventually be, maybe be considered a lot to be at Alabama. I don't know right now because he's taking his time. And we've already mentioned it before about spots being filled up. But he's, he's a very interesting guy, I think, over the next few months and when it goes in the season and then when he eventually makes a decision, which could linger into in January and February. Yeah, I think he takes his time. And that will, will help everybody involved tweak their approach to Perry. Look, like you said, the kid can play. I mean, he's been a, a sack master since he kicked off his career at Park Crossing. Um, but the buzz there has changed a lot over the last 12 to 18 months. I hear a lot of Ohio State buzz now, but I think they're in the same boat as Alabama to where it gets to be like, wait, how many can we take in this cycle? And how many pass rushers can we take in this cycle? Because both of them have added commitments recently with, from the pass rushing position. So I'm curious about Ohio State and Alabama's numbers. Like you mentioned, Auburn, UCF, Florida is in the conversation uh, with Curtis Perry as well. So uh, Georgia's maybe hanging around. They've, they've had a bit of a lull 
in recruiting besides Branson Robinson over the last uh, you know two months. So uh, I could I could see a lot of movement with Curtis Perry, and I agree. I think it creates longevity in his timeline, and he'll be the last big fish in the state to to make his decision now that we know Fagans is is about to come off the board. And I agree. I think Miami's uh, probably in the best position, followed by uh, Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, which South Carolina was it was in there too for Fagans, which I, I do want to give a shout he, out to Shane. He, he loves Shane Beamer. He yeah. loves the guy. Shane wowed me last week at SEC Media Days. But a couple more things before we get you out of here, John. First, the wide receiver position for Alabama, right? They just got Kobe Prentice. One thing that I think a lot of fans maybe aren't – because I know a lot of people that, oh, we want Evan Stewart. You know, they, we want him in Alabama really, really bad. And they want these big-name guys. Well, I think the way I think Alabama fans need to kind of view this cycle at their receiver position, I think it's a luxury. I think anything you get outside of Kobe Prentice right now is a big luxury. Because of look at who you signed in 2021, right? Ajay Hall, Ja'Cory Brooks, JoJo Earl, um, Christian Leary. And you've, you've got Amari Nyblack who could – who's I mean, he's a – I'm not going to – Kyle Pitts is pretty lofty comparison. I, I get that. But he's a hybrid, right? He's a tight – like I mean, physically, physically he looks like him at the same – Yeah. At the same stage. I mean, that is a specimen. And so you have Elijah Brown, too, in there as well. Um, but, you know, Kobe Prentice was the first pure wide receiver in this class. Uh, you know, I, when I look at guys like, you know, Kendrick Law, who can who can play both sides of the ball, um, you know, Shaz Preston, I know, is, is he's got he's an LSU lean probably right now. Um, Omari Kelly is another wide receiver. Um, but that I know – but Alabama right now, anything they get at the wide receiver position outside of Prentice, I think, is, is just a luxury at this point. And you hit it. It's it, they stagger receiver classes. They've been doing that for years. Uh, you take a big group and a tiny one, and we're on the on the cycle where it's a tiny one for Alabama. So I wouldn't imagine more than maybe what one more receiver at the most, um, especially with Nye Black being kind of a hybrid, right? Is he a jumbo receiver or is he a, a tight end? You know, uh, it's like Georgia's listing Arik Gilbert at receiver, even though he's much bigger than than Amari Nye Black. So um, those things are becoming more fluid anyway. So when you're talking pass catchers, Bama's already got three committed, as you mentioned, with, with Elijah Brown. Uh, so I couldn't imagine much more. We know this class is going to be a little smaller in general. So um, with there, with there's a lot more priority out there. I think corner is a huge priority still uh, to address. Um, we, we've seen them address the front seven a little bit more over the last several weeks. Um, but, but I think the secondary will be where Bama spends a lot of, of time and resources going forward in this class because uh, everything else seems to be in, in pretty, pretty decent shape. You've got multiple running backs. You've got your quarterback, of course, in Ty Simpson and, and then the O-line. You know, we always, we always expect a little bit more from Alabama recruiting up front, you know, even with the, with the big addition of, of Tyler Booker. So I think secondary trenches probably makes a little more sense than bringing in multiple pass catchers. But they're not going to say no to uh, an Evan Stewart or a Shaz Preston or a Jaleel Skinner who will be really highly rated by us at tight end when that comes out. Um, so it's going to be a good problem for Bama to have in the end, which is what I we used to always tell Bama fans. The names might be a little different, but uh, the floor of, of, of the talent level is going to be very good no matter who it is. Yeah, Barry and Brown as well um, out, of, out of the Nashville area is another guy Alabama is really, really high on. Big time slot. Big time slot. We love we love his tape. Top ten slot. We've got him ranked higher than than, than Prentice. I don't think that's common elsewhere. So uh, yeah, he he can absolutely play. He's another 
uh, who's risen at the same time as Prentice, kind of that 2020 tape uh, getting out um, and, and getting reviewed has, has really upped his stock. So uh, yeah, if Bama can get their hands on him, that'd be a big one. A guy who didn't have any 2020 tape is Dane Shore, offensive line. He was at IMG. Now he's back in Alpharetta. Uh, a guy who's making his commitment on, uh, known on Saturday. Um, a slew of schools in there. Um, I, I've, I've communicated with him a couple of times. He's a kid who, who who's really loving this process. He loved the visits he went on. Um, he was in, he was at Alabama for their big weekend at the end of June. Um, John, kind of what's your feel uh, for Dane? And I mean, he, like I said, he doesn't have that 2020 tape. So he's kind of a more unknown prospect really than even guys who uh, maybe, maybe even played last year, but didn't have the publicity or anything. Right. Well, you can't teach six, six, 300 pounds, whatever he is, uh, whether he's a tackle or kicking inside, uh, that, that's a big physical asset for, for anybody on his list. But like you said, not only did he not play in 2020, but he had that Tyler Booker visit schedule, five officials in the month of June. And, and at any one of those schools, you could really see him jumping on board. I tend to think with him leaving the state of Georgia, he's basically confirmed that um, by, by his visit schedule. I get Alabama, Oklahoma vibes from him. Uh, he did visit a &M. Uh, You're never going to count out Jimbo Fisher and company. And on the O-line, you, you shouldn't count out Oregon, uh, where he, he also visited. So this is an interesting recruitment. I, I think Tennessee is in position to grab another notable Peach State offensive lineman. I won't give it away, but y'all can do some research there. So I'm not sure uh, if, if they're in position to secure Shorts commitments. I, I view it as more of an Alabama, Oklahoma deal, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was AM or Oregon either. But, but the kids done a good job of keeping things pretty close to the vest. Uh, there was some Auburn buzz at one point yeah, as well. Was. So it, it's kind of been all over the region. And then the visits helped it stretch to be like a true national recruitment all of a sudden. Yeah, no, he's, he's announcing on Saturday. And lastly, John, the biggest news of all, this is obviously airing on Friday, but on Thursday, the SEC unanimously decided to offer official invites to the University of uh, or excuse me, Oklahoma University and the University of Texas in Austin. Big ramifications recruiting-wise. Alabama just went in there and got seven signees in the Lone Star State in 2021. Nick Saban's comments about Bryce Young came in Texas uh, to the Texas High Schools Coach Association, a state where high schoolers can't even make money off their NIL. They're one of the three states that can't do that yet. Um, and that, you know, that, that was the big thing right there when Saban did that, a big recruiting plug. Just what do you, I mean, what are kind of maybe the, 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 the battles now that Alabama is going to have when, when they go into a state as fertile as Texas, and now you have Texas alongside A&M, who Alabama's fought with for the last nine years, um, and they've lost some battles, but they won the majority of those. What, what do you kind of foresee there as the battle? And now they also deal with Oklahoma. Right. Well, I mean, Oklahoma's offensive recruiting, uh, particularly at the skill positions, will continue to be as good as anyone's in the country. What they're doing at quarterback in particular is, is sort of unprecedented uh, in the modern era. Um, and but they've always been able to do that, and they're going to continue to do that with wide receivers, even running backs. I mean, they've got Gavin Sawchuk and Relief Brown committed, unbelievable stuff. You know, Big Twelve or SEC. Where I see Oklahoma taking a step forward with the SEC tag is defensively. They've already kind of checked up the list year by year uh, over the last two years uh, with Alex Grinch as the DC. Lincoln Riley knows the perception that Oklahoma is is an offensive fireworks team who just survives defensively 
Um, but you have, if you actually watch the tape, their defense was pretty good at times last year. So I think they build on that with the SEC uh, and, and really the regional dominance that they've created. You know, kids, kids growing up right now don't know Texas as the dominant quote-unquote Big 12 school, it's Oklahoma. Uh, so moving conferences together doesn't hurt Oklahoma in any way, but for Texas, it's a game changer. This is this is the complete game changer that, that probably it needed if it has a chance to get back to, to, to the Vince Young, Mac Brown, Colt McCoy days. Um, and a lot of people attribute Alabama for sort of crumbling that in that 09 title game. Uh, but, you know, these kids don't remember that. So they have to do it on the field and in recruiting. They've got a new head coach and Steve Sarkeesian who brought a lot of Bama coaches with them. Um, so I think the formula is there for Texas to at least compete in state with AM, with Oklahoma, with Alabama, LSU. Heck, Ohio State has rated Texas uh, just as much as Alabama has. Yeah. So, right, everyone's still going to recruit Texas, but the Longhorns now in their own state have more juice to combat it with, whether it's building this new culture under Sark or those three letters that, that change everything, the SEC. Because the one thing Texas, Texas has recruited pretty well, even amid the losing. But the one thing they haven't done besides win conference titles is send guys to the NFL. I think they had two last year. So that's the biggest difference. The other three letters that, it, that matter in recruiting beyond SEC is NFL. If you start changing that around, even without the wins, you compete more and more. That's what AM has been able to do. Um, that's what other pro LSU has been able to sell that, even, even downtrodding the way they did in the last, in last year or so. They're still recruiting at a high level because they still send kids to the league and they have the capability to bounce back. So that this generation of recruit needs to see a couple of those things happen for Texas and joining the SEC is about as, as good of a godsend as they could have gotten on the front end of that climb. Yeah, and, you know, for years they, they talked about A&M riding the coattails of the SEC. Well, look who followed A&M. And, and maybe Alabama, maybe, maybe with Texas joinings, maybe down the road when you see more legacy prospects, which, which we've seen a bunch of these in the last two cycles. I mean, shoot, I just saw Donald Driver's son just committed to Penn State. Crazy. Uh, Jason Taylor's uh, kid just committed to LSU. It's, it, it's wild. But I say that to say when you look at two uh, pro legacy prospects like the Brockermeyer brothers, you know, if, if Texas does succeed in the SEC, maybe Alabama doesn't get those guys if they're, if they're a few years back. You know what I mean? Right. But it's going to be hard to define that success because uh, no matter – we're still waiting, obviously, to see when it's going to happen and how the schedules and the groupings or pods or divisions are going to line up. But no matter how they line up, that's where Texas faces its biggest climb. And, and that's why I thought AM would vote to have them in because if I'm AM, I want them in as soon as possible so I can beat up on them as soon as possible and reinforce the fact that my program is ahead of yours uh, at this time, even in this, this great conference. But no matter who they play, they're going to play Oklahoma every year. That's still a hill they have to climb. At some point, they're going to have to get into the Georgia, Alabama, LSU, gauntlet that that this conference has always had to face so that's where I think it gets the hardest for Sarkeesian balancing the build with the on-field results because the sooner they go the uglier it will be uh, for UT uh, in terms of the win-loss column and that does still matter 
Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, John, thanks for coming on here, man, just to kind of talk about the, the, the ever-changing world of recruiting in, in college football. It's, it's the, like the wild, wild west, man. It, it really is, and we appreciate your insight. I know you guys at SL American, the rankings have been coming out. Um, you guys just had the running back ones this week, Emmanuel Henderson, number two for you guys. Um, but then the SI99 will come out, and then we will have a monthly update on the recruiting uh, standings as a whole. And Alabama is finally going to crack into the top ten, man, <laughs> something they haven't been able to do all year in the recruiting yes. rankings for you guys. Yes, the August update will feature Alabama in the top ten. We can leak that news <laughs> on the podcast. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, what what a crazy time. We're trying to build out all these rankings, and this last year has thrown everything at us, right? Pandemic. NIL, transfer portal, uh, conference realignment, just just to sprinkle it on a little bit right before the season starts. I mean, just a crazy, crazy time in college football, but hopefully all for the better. Uh, but but recruiting will certainly not uh, not be boring anytime soon. So we got a lot coming at Style American, and we look forward to uh, releasing all of it. Awesome. Well, thanks again, John. For John Garcia, I'm Tom Martin. This has been another edition of the All Things Nana Podcast. Thank you.